0: I will be reading today from um, 1 Samuel chapter 17, um, excuse me, verses 40 to 54. I feel like I should start this with Once upon a time there was a shepherd boy, (laughs) and we all know who he is. (laughs) He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch, and his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. The Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. Then it happened when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly towards the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it and struck the Philistine on his forehead. And the stone sank into his forehead, So that he fell on his face to the ground. Thus, David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed him. But there was no sword in David's hand. Then David ran and stood over the Philistine and took his sword and drew it out of its sheath and killed him and cut off his head with it. When the Philistines saw that their champion was dead, they fled. The men of Israel and Judah arose and shouted and pursued the Philistines as far as the valley and to the vates of Ekron, and the slain Philistines lay along the way to Shuram, even to Gath and to Ekron. The sons of Israel returned from chasing the Philistines and plundered their camps. Then David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem but he put his weapons in his tent.
1: you, listening to the news, which I have. I mean, part of um, my Israeli genes means that you see to it that you find out about what's going on around you. You want to be aware of your environment. And uh, because where I grew up was not a particularly friendly environment, still isn't. Um, And it seemed like it has been impacting the whole world. Um, The world was a little meshuggie, but it seems like it's gone several notches uh, nuttier. Um, At least in my my humble estimation, I saw that uh, or heard that the European Union um, is planning to come to China and ask-slash-beg for money to get through the crisis. And I thought, okay, this is a little upside-down reality here. And um, our country still is somewhat uh, in an unhealthy place. I'm I'm sure everybody knows that. And it impacts all of us in different ways different ways um, financially um, we have a number of folks who are unemployed or underemployed and uh the uh, madison avenue and and the um retail industries are desperately trying to crank up the Christmas slash Hanukkah campaigns and uh, yet at the same time um, as you are preparing for the holidays you see for a lot of people this is certainly not a leave it to beaver kind of reality Um, all of us you know all of us wrestle with one type of struggle or crisis this week it hit me particularly I went to see the doctor and um, the lab tests came back abnormal and um, for me this had a number of or pretty major um, buttons that could be pushed Um, this was PSA if you're familiar with it Um, prostate cancer by the way you may know is for men as um, as common as breast cancer is for women but um, you know my first response was to say not so much to the doctor but to myself you know i'm really have come to a place of confidence that the lord will provide a needed health and vigor for me so that i can be properly equipped to do the work he's called me to do i mean this may seem like a very simple-minded perspective i'm aware of sickness and illness uh, we've had a number of deaths in our family. So I'm, I'm not saying this from a Pollyannish perspective. I've really come to a place in my life where I God has given me the confidence and the faith to say, Lord, my health is your business. And I want to, since my health is your business, then I want to focus on your business. And that, by the way, is what Yeshua tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, You allow your Heavenly Father to take care of your needs, your basic human needs, and He will see to it that they're taken care of in one form or another so that you can focus on His priorities and His business. So that was my mindset. But you know, faith is never static. It's not something that uh, exists on a linear level it always goes up and down and forwards and backwards you know what i'm saying and uh so i i got a call from the doctor uh and you know that this is unusual because the doctor typically doesn't call you unless there is a real problem usually you have the physician's assistant or one of the other folks call you and give you information but this time the doctor called left a voicemail and asked me to call and uh, I'm not going to tell you that I stood up and jumped up and said, yes Lord, you're awesome you're wonderful, you're incredible Uh, was one of these feeling in the pit of the stomach and faith was a little wobbly Uh, some of you may know that I had been I'm a cancer survivor Um, I was diagnosed with melanoma which is a pretty nasty one uh, about seventy seven years ago and uh... i've been clean praise god baruch hashem Amen. since then but you know the buttons we all have buttons folks yes am i the only one who has buttons <laughs> um, and so i asked my my better half to pray for me Amen. and she did and then after a while it went away and it shifted back into a mindset that said, okay, Lord, you are the boss, you are in charge, you're in control. And yes, it is a crisis. I don't know what's going to happen with this crisis, but you've got things in the palm of your hands. And part of reality for, for me, as it is for all of us, is that life presents crises of one kind or another. And none of us, let me say that again, none of us approaches all of these crises with absolute gorgeous and outstanding faith at all times. It is a struggle. Faith is a struggle, folks. And because the Lord's presence in our life, we grow in faith and we learn the faith lessons so that what bedeviled us and and what was intractable um, a year or two years or three years, we've had a measure of victory so that we can proceed and face the other giants that tend to come along as we proceed in life. And so this passage, and by the way, I'm fully aware that No one here has ever heard of David and Goliath, right? (laughs) (laughs) This is uh, completely new to you. Um, But as I I was reading it, some things really jumped out at me, and I want to share several of those, and I want to pray, first of all, that the Lord would give all of us eyes of understanding and ears to hear. So let's take a moment and do that. Lord God, we thank and praise you that you are fully in control at all times. We thank you, Lord God, that you are the God who is greater than the giants. You're greater than the fortified cities. You're greater than any and all crises we face. And that through those crises... You teach us important faith lessons and you develop and mature us and bring us along. And we praise you and thank you for that. In the name of Yeshua, amen. So none of us really enjoys crises, but at some point you, you get the basic fact that God allows crises to come into our life so that we get desperate. And when we get desperate, guess what? We turn, hopefully, we turn to to God and we seek Him and we spend more time in His presence than we would otherwise. At some point, we get the fact that the crises are actually a blessing in disguise if and as we're willing to learn from them. And you know, you know what happens with these, in these situations. It's what physiologists call the fight-or-flight syndrome. You know, you have the adrenaline being pumped out and, and your hands are sweaty and, and uh, blood is pumping and so on and so forth and all kinds of physiological responses. And uh, you can either take what they call the fight where you grit your teeth and say, I'm going to engage in this situation... Or the flight and you say i'm out of here this is too much i'm gone uh tsunami is coming i i uh, i'm gonna take off so people take one or the other kind of responses and um we see here a classic situation of one people the vast majority 99 percent taking the flight kind of approach and then you have the other one this twenty-year-old or less than twenty-year-old standing up and saying I'm gonna fight huge chasm in between them same set of circumstances and one group is totally broken in fact um, in verse 11 before the passage that uh, Bix read, on hearing the Philistine, and we'll talk more about that and uh, go into the map also this week, Um, on hearing the Philistine, Goliath's words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified, the Hebrew word for terrified means to be broken, to be in panic, to be terrified, to be smashed, in short, to freak out and it's not just the emotional attitude it's also as you well know the emotions are what drive our actions you know especially guys like to think that we are completely logical and we do everything logically etc here you see the Israelites totally afraid and what they do is they run and by the way the word run appears here a whole bunch of times you have the people running away and you have David running towards what a huge contrast so um, let's take a look at the map and um, in case you're not familiar with Israel the layout this is the Mediterranean Here is the Jordan River. On the other side is what we now call Jordan. Uh, Above is Lebanon, and then over here is Syria, and down here is Egypt. This is the Gaza Strip, uh, which at that time, and still today, is hostile to Israel. Interesting, isn't it? Um, Last week when we talked about Jonathan, the Philistines came out of their base in, in Philistia and they sent arm, they sent um, uh, groups companies out into the Judean hills which is right here in the center and there was a battle that took place right here over a period of time the Israelites pushed them back but today we see that the Philistines are coming out again And we have a battle situation uh, just outside of Philistia, about eight miles outside of what we now call the Gaza Strip. So that's kind of a brief geographical overview. And I guess we need to shut this guy. Roar? He's not. Don't mess with it. Let the techies deal with it. All right. Um... You have the beginning of this chapters. If you look at verse 1 and 2, the Philistines gathered their forces for war. They assemble at Sukkot in Judah. They pitched their tent. Saul and the Israelites, this is verse 2, assembled and camped in the Valley of Elah. And they drove up for battle lines. You know that in those days, you really didn't have guerrilla warfare. You have two armies, one standing, one standing on one side, one standing on the other side, and then they just rush at each other. If you have seen Braveheart and other movies like that, you'll know that the insanity of war is depicted in these kinds of situations. Um, crisis. And then you have out of the... And you have the Philistines um, arrayed on one hill the Israelites arrayed on, on another hill and in between them is what we call a vadi which is a s- dry stream bed and out comes this, this massive Gogolite galoot um, y- you know y- you think about uh, Shaquille O'Neal at uh, 7 foot 1 325 pounds you add another couple of feet to him and another 150-200 pounds and you get sort of a, a rough idea of what Goliath looked like. He was intimidating. Just his appearance, his armor. His he was wearing a uh, mail of uh, armor, a coat of scale weighing about 126 pounds. Basically, it was like little little fish scales, hundreds of fish scales woven together um, in this in this uh, suit he had chin guards and and bronze helmet and a sword and a spear and so on and so forth he was a pretty intimidating guy then on top of that he wants to use the advantage size and strength advantage against Israel and, and he's calling out the people of Israel to come out send a representative and fight him and every single day he gets out there and calls challenges the people of Israel to send somebody out and all that happens are the people are demoralized by fear absolutely paralyzed have no clue what to do and he keeps coming out and and calling the people and saying to them choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me if he is able to fight with me and kill me then we will become your servants but if I prevail against him and kill him then you shall become our servants and serve us and he's challenging people and folks are just paralyzed by fear and humiliated because part of what Goliath is trying to do through this trash talking he is trying to humiliate them and take the stuffing out of them. And if you know anything about uh, battles that take place in the spiritual arena you see that there are a lot of parallels. You know, you see that for example when Yeshua was, was tempted and and Satan talked to him and tried to to mess with his mind, and that's the same kind of thing that happens to us on a lower scale. Um, There is this attempt to reproach, to mock, to taunt, to defy in order to cause people to become even more demoralized. And it works. It works if the focus is on you you're right, I'm really not up to the task, Uh, you can lick me anytime you want, etc., etc. And that's what the people of Israel are doing. Now, here you have Israel, then you have David, this young guy, never been involved in a real battle, never put on armor, coming out and seeing the situation and saying, this is unacceptable. This is totally unacceptable. And he states to the people and saying, how on earth can this take place? How is it that this uncircumcised, and by the way, again, as was the case with Jonathan last Shabbat, this has nothing to do with ethnic, um, with, with ethnocentrism, with a desire to uh, separate ethnically, it has to do with a person being unwilling to be part of the covenant with God. How could this uncircumcised man defy the armies of the living God? The people said he is defying the armies of Israel. Israel. David looks at exactly the same situation and says Goliath is is defying and spitting on the armies of the living God. Do you understand the difference? In one case, where is the emphasis? It's on the nation of Israel. God is off screen as far as the people are concerned. When David comes along, he says, this is not just about Israel It is a problem because it makes God, the God of Israel, look bad. Uh, And that, by the way, is how people understood that. I mean, we don't, unfortunately, but Israel, people in those days did. If you were in a battle and someone defeated you, then it was a given that their God was more powerful than your God. And so that is what part of the scenario here you have the human drama and underneath the human drama you have the spiritual drama where Goliath in a sense is saying uh, I come here I represent not only myself and the Philistines I represent our God Dagon the fish God and David unlike the other people are saying this is unacceptable because It is spitting on God's honor. And that is unacceptable. David sees the situation. He runs towards it. Let me just read to you a couple of statements. Um, David runs to the battle line. He runs towards Goliath. He runs when Goliath finally falls. And David is... He is not willing to be dissuaded by the fact that everybody thinks he's Meshuggi. His brother, Eliab, is outraged and fuming and saying to him, David, get out of here, you little runt. What are you trying to do here? You're embarrassing embarrassing me and, and you're dishonoring our family. What are you doing here? You know, this is serious business. It's, it's grown-up type business and um, warrior and, and you're just a shepherd. And he's trying to, sha, get out of here, beat it. And uh, David is not willing. And the word gets out to Saul who sits down and talks to him. By the way, if anybody should have been fighting goliath it should have been saul because he was head and shoulders above all the people and he just kind of sitting there twiddling his thumbs this is not to suggest that that saul never um was never courageous but in this in this situation he comes out looking terrible terribly um And Saul's initial response to him was, um, this guy, Goliath, is a giant. He has been fighting all his life. And you are what? (laughs) And again, David is not willing to do that because his emphasis, his focus, is not on himself so much. Yeah, he, he he shares his story, how I was a shepherd and... I did so and so, but the emphasis in one form or another always goes back to God. Always goes back to God. David, in one form or another, always always connects the conversation to God. Yeah, I'm engaged, I'm involved, but I did what I did because God enabled me. He tells him about the story that he was a shepherd and he overcame a lion and a bear. Why? Because God enabled him. And David's simple response is, God helped me back then, he can help me today. It's the same God. You know, and this is something we've seen throughout scripture from time to time, is when you go through crises, you want to rewind the tapes and go back to situations in your life where God came through in a big way and say, Thank you, Lord, you came through in a big, in a massive way here. I have confidence that you will come through in this current crisis that I'm facing. David does that. David does that. His concern is about the Lord. Verse 26. What shall be done for the man who kills this Philistine? I just realized that we had a couple of gentlemen who were going to read for us. And... um, you guys mind coming up?
2: I don't think it's too late. <laughs> Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel.
3: Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And are not you the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able To fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. This day, I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other.
2: David asked the men standing near him, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God?
3: Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks?
2: And the Philistine cursed David by his gods.
3: Come here and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field.
2: You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands.
1: Thank you to both of the Michaels, Michael Lang and Michael Mahoney. Thank you for your chesed. You see that that there is the human drama and then there is the divine or the spiritual drama. David gets it. David gets it. Yeah, he is dealing with reality, with the fact that, that you have the two armies that that uh, here you have this massive guy. He he gets the physical, the facts on the ground, but he sees the bigger picture and, and the facts uh, that surround that or are underneath that, and that is the fact that God is very much engaged. And that's where his priorities are. He wants to focus... on God's business what does it mean when David speaks about the living God it's one of these wonderful phrases that we find in scripture it's one of these uh, phrases that that warm your heart but, but you sometimes have really no clue what it means as you trace this Phrase living God you'll see that in scripture it has two basic connotations first of all the fact that God is imminent in other words he's there with the people we get the term Immanuel from that sort of an idea and then second of all he is there and his power is unleashed and his power is at work that's what is meant by living God he's contrasting The God of Israel versus the God of the gods or God of the Philistine. The other term David uses is the Lord of hosts. Again, another expression that simply means that God is the commander in chief. God is the commander in chief. He's the commander in chief of all the armies of heaven, the invisible armies of heaven. And so because of that, he has all the power to overcome all the opposition. And in essence, what, when, when David and Goliath come together, in essence what David is saying to Goliath is, Goliath, you don't know who with whom you're messing. Because God really doesn't need my help. He can do everything. He doesn't need a sword or a shield. He will bring about salvation. Why? Because he is the one doing the fighting. Now, part of reality, folks, is that you look at the story and you say, I'm not there. I don't have that kind of faith like David to be able to face massive crises and say, God is fully in control He's going to take care of things, and all the problems are are going to be flattened, and I'm going to walk straight through those. For most of us, for all of us, I would say, we learn and we grow, and sometimes we fail. That's part of reality, folks. We fail, and by the grace of God, we learn from our failures. Amen? Amen? As you know, David's story later on, he, sh- he certainly had his good share of failures. But here, he is shining, absolutely shining. He stands there without a shred of doubt and he says, This day, the Lord will hand you over to me. No doubt. No doubt. Now, this is pretty amazing, folks. Hundreds or perhaps thousands of people who are your enemies, hundreds of of your own people who are snickering at you, and you're facing this giant. And yet this guy, David, says, I have absolutely no doubt of the outcome. And furthermore, it's not just about you and I or even your people and my people. What this is really about is about God. I don't know if you picked up a couple of statements here in verse 46 and 47. A purpose statements. Then the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. In verse 47, all those who are gathered here will know. What is the point that he's trying to make here? Simply... And by the way, remember that the Hebrew word for know, yada, means relational or experiential knowledge. What he's saying is, all of you who are standing here will see who God is, will understand his power, and furthermore, this word will get out to all the, the surrounding nations. If you're familiar with the Passover story, you'll make the connection that as God was predicting what what was going to happen with the plagues, what you see over and over again is, I'm going to do such and such so that Pharaoh will know who I am. I'm going to do such and such so that the Egyptians will know. I'm going to do such and such so that you, my people Israel, will know. God works powerfully in ways that boggle our minds He takes our logic He upends our logic He works in ways that we don't expect And furthermore He takes our weaknesses Our limitations And He uses those as a public platform To demonstrate His mighty power Our weaknesses Provide an opportunity And a platform for God To demonstrate just who He is Paul puts it this way thanks be to God who always leads us in triumphal triumphal procession or as one translator put it in one perpetual victory parade and through us he spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him think about that you may not feel particularly fragrant all the times But the message in David's story, the message throughout Scripture, is that God does awesome things in our life during times of crises, during times when we're wobbly, during times when our faith is is weak. And even when we fail, He uses those circumstances to demonstrate His power. And through that, He not only makes a statement to us, but he makes a statement to those around us. Now what do we do when we run into a snag when we run into a problem into a crisis and we fail what do we do we do endless loopa loops. You know we rewind the tapes ad infinitum ad nauseum. You know I could have done differently here I should have said that over here and I could have I, I could have been more assertive or I should have used more, more good sense, as we say in, in Yiddish Sechel. Uh, how could I have done such a thing? Who, I, I was so stupid. You know, you're familiar with those tapes. I imagine that everybody here uh, is familiar with those tapes. We all do it. But it is absolutely the last possible thing we need to do. That's what the people of Israel do. They're paralyzed, they're neutralized, they're totally incapable of any action because the focus is on themselves. Goliath defies and spitting on the honor of Israel. On the other hand, David sees the situation and says, yes, there is a problem here, but God is bigger than a problem, and it's not about me although I'm going to be the one who is going to be the agent of change, but this is really not about me, it's about God. So yeah, he shines here. David shines here, and everybody talks about David, the hero, how this, by the way, this is quite a day for David. He started out in his papa's house in Bethlehem early in the morning, marched 15 miles to the battle area, and by the end of the day, he is the hero of the entire nation. Think about the emotional upheaval going through, the, through his mind. But in any event, he has been considered the hero of the faith for 3,000 years. He's been an inspiration to people. But who is the real hero here, folks? It's God. Why do you think David was able to do what he did? Was it because of his sheer skill with the slingshot? And by the way, it's been calculated that the slingshot, when it, it, when it released the stone, which was possibly the size of a tennis ball, the stone was traveling at 200 miles an hour. Wow. Now, I wasn't there with a stopwatch. I can't really tell you. Um, and apparently the stone crushed his frontal skull frontal um, cranium here and was embedded now I, I would imagine that that would uh, make quite an impact on a person <laughs> <laughs> and we're not really sure whether that killed him or whether David standing over him with the sword killed him in any event by the end of all that he was good and dead David fall, uh, Goliath falls on his face and that's, that too is very significant because if you rewind the tapes a couple of chapters you'll see that that is what happened to Goliath's God Dagon, the fish God where the ark of the Lord was there and Dagon was here and the Philistines came in the morning and Dagon was flat on his face and when they they didn't get the picture they came back the next day and Dagon was not only in his face but his, his head was cut off. The statement was that, that the Philistines made God's hand is heavy upon us and upon Dagon our God. Again, what had to happen is that Israel's God had to triumph. because it's not with sword or with spear that God saves superior military equipment is not what gives us the victory what gives us the victory folks is the fact that God is engaged the battle belongs to the Lord and it's a tough lesson Think about it. Doesn't it feel like it's a steep learning curve for all of us when we are confronted with crises? What what is our go-to approach? Do we sit down, are we quiet, and say, God, here's the mess, please take it? Or do we do scenarios? And this is such a powerful lesson for us to avoid what the people of Israel did. And instead, take David's approach and say, God, this is a mess. It's beyond me, not beyond you. Let's pray. Lord God, we we thank you that you allow crises to come into our life. Situations that are that seem and feel and often are clearly beyond us. And Lord God, we thank you that you patiently and persistently and faithfully teach us to draw our attention to you. And Lord God, that's our desire. We pray, Lord, that increasingly that you would strengthen our faith, that you give us those eyes of faith to see you at work and to relinquish control to you to welcome you to rule to welcome you Lord God to do your good work Lord not just for our benefit and our provision and our security but Lord God so that those around us would see you reflected in our life And so that you would receive the honor and the glory. That's our heart's desire, Lord, we pray. And we ask, Lord, for each one of us where we are facing our own Goliaths, we pray that you'll cause us to see you rather than obsess with Goliath. Speak to each one of us today, Lord God, cause us to see you And to embrace your program for us. The name of Yeshua, we pray. Amen.